to overcome and keep on trusting Living in this world is always something Got to overcome and keep on trusting Living in this world is always something The Always Something Podcast with Sharon and Pat Hello, everyone, and welcome to Always Something Podcast, third episode and the finale of Tim. Hello, Sharon. Hey, how are you, Pat? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Sharon? How was your vacation? I am doing well. It was great, 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 great. Nothing like a vacation. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, Sharon. So what about that cliffhanger that Tim left us with on the last show? I know, right? And I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I've been anxious. I'm sure the listeners are anxious. He got us. That's for sure. (laughs) Yes, he did. I've been wondering what in the world would Tim have to tell us? What happened? So let's get started with episode three and the finale of Tim. Hello, Tim. Hello, Sharon. How are you? Tim? Hey, 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 I'm hey. doing great, you guys. I missed you. I missed I missed talking to you guys. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, Tim, we have been waiting for this show and waiting for what you have to tell us after that cliffhanger on the last show. That is it. Yes, I'm excited to share with you what happened. I'm going to lead up to it. I'm not going to tell you right away, right? I'm going to tell you what happened. What happened and the events that occurred to get me to where I was at that spot where I shared with you at the last time, the cliffhanger, my name was announced and oh my God, my life changed forever for the better and maybe not so good. It changed, but I'm going to share with you what happened. How does that sound? You got me on my edge of my seat. So <laughs> All right. I can tell you guys, I, I, I stopped you talking. Okay. This is really cool. I mean, here we go. You're going to hear, you're going to hang on to every word, but truly, honestly, tonight I'm going to bear it all. I'm going to share my soul. I'm going to tell you what happened because it right. It started right as I was moving into adulthood. I told you I just graduated from college and got my own place, got a career and started making money. It started feeling like an adult, right? I started paying bills. I started doing everything right. And as I did that, I started to get more and more earthly possessions, if you will. I started to gain things that I never had as a child. I started to realize I was in charge. I had money. Now I could go out and get things and buy things and spend, which is what I did. And I'll share with you right out of the gate. Every time I got a raise, my bills went up. I literally spent what I made and I kept buying and buying because I wanted to feel good. I wanted to get what I didn't get as a child. Before you know it, I'm moving up the ladder very quickly in banking. I'm I'm succeeding. I'm doing well. And I kept getting raise after raise, promotion after promotion and more money and more money, more debt and more debt. As As I started to realize what was going on and gaining friends and talking about everything. I also realized I was trying to keep up with the Joneses and make up for lost time for what I didn't have as a child. 
And anybody who's been through that can understand what that's like. I mean, you're, you're always making up, you still have that void in you and you're still trying to prove you're worthy. You're still trying to get what you didn't have. Right. And so one of the first things I wanted, like everybody else is to achieve the American dream to buy a house. And I did, I built a house and let me just say this, Pat and Sharon, I started to feel like I was somebody I was accomplished, right? I had a career. I was making money. I was getting friends. Mm -hmm. I was also the one who was always paying for everything because I wanted to let everybody know I made it. Even though down deep inside, Mm -hmm. I still had that little boy that knew what it was like not to have food on the table, not to have clothes, not to be able to get your school class ring or your jacket, never your mom and dad not having a credit card to do anything for you. Right. So I was making all that lost time up quickly, having fun, making friends, yet it still felt like it wasn't all right. It wasn't all there. And the next thing I know, I built a house. I built a house. I'm like, I've made it. This is it. This is the American dream. I built a house. I'll never forget. I had my mom out to the house and I started to fill the house with furniture. I didn't have that much money to do that. I bought a brand new house and it was empty. I charged every day. My mom was there. I was in a sense, I don't want to say showing off, but I was trying to show my family I made it. They didn't know my finances. They didn't know how much money I made. They didn't know how much debt I was in. And I remember my mom sitting there and I said, mom, I said, today they're going to bring the living room table. Tomorrow they're bringing the sofa. Yeah. You know, my mom was excited. She couldn't believe her son had done it. And it was great. It really was. And I was doing very, very well. And I had friends and we were, I was starting to fit into a niche. I discovered alcohol again. I seem to attract people who, who like alcohol. And as I shared in earlier episodes, I actually came from a family of alcoholics So I started drinking on a regular basis, but nothing too intense to where it was hurting my job or career, but I was doing it. And I think my friends noticed as well. My friends also liked to do other activities and I always wanted to be a part of something. I wanted to be with people. I wanted to do things that they were doing and they would do little trips to the racetrack, to the casino, whatever it was, to an amusement park. And any opportunity I got to be with them, I went. So here's where we are. Here I am now. I'm an adult. I bought a house. I got a career. Life is going great. I am kind of going in debt. Oh, I got a question. Hey, for yes. You, you know what? Ask me a question anytime during this. Sure thing. Got a question for you. So I was just wondering when your mom was coming over and she's seeing how successful you are and you got a career, you got your home and everything. Now, did your mom think at that time, like, did you were well, you were good, your addiction was over? It, you know, did she think everything was good with you at so that when time? So which addiction are you talking about? <laughs> just my addiction? I mean, because you have addictive behaviors. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just wondering as your mom. Yeah, was she thinking, oh, he's better now. He's fine. He's on his feet. I don't have to worry. He's going to be just fine. You know what? Looking back, I would have to say she probably, here's how she dealt with things. Anything that she didn't like or felt uncomfortable with Sharon, she put it under the rug. That would be anything was in her family, anything that she didn't understand or want to be a part of. You have to understand my family. My mom never worked, never drove a car. Never flew on a plane, never left my home, our little hometown, was always relying on my father, took whatever was given to her. So anything was like, 
a gift. If she, if somebody gave her something or she saw something, she just took it as it was at face value. That's all she knew. She didn't know and didn't ask, where's all the money coming from to buy all this? You know, where she didn't understand credit. She didn't have a bank account. My mom never had a credit card. She didn't know anything about finances. And unfortunately I didn't either, but I went, I learned as I went along. And I think my mom was just happy that, that she got to experience all that with me. Uh, Tim, you, you talk about your mom was there. Um, you didn't say anything about your dad. Is it that he wasn't invited or he just chose not to come? Thank you for bringing that up, Patricia. And <laughs> my father, yeah, that's, that's a story. Him and I never really got along. And as I shared in many, many times in other episodes, he was an absentee father. Chances are during that time, then he was either at a card game, at, you know, playing poker, at a racetrack, working. And my mom never worked, so I was able to take my mom. See, I lived actually three and a half hours away from where my folks lived. So I had that space between us. I'd drive home to visit and then bring my mom with me. I would bring my mother and spoil my mother, right? She never had anything. So she'd come to my place and say, let's go shopping, mom. Let's go grocery shopping. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then everything that she didn't get to do, she lived with me vicariously through me. And my father, you know what? He probably came out to my house two or three times. And I think once or twice it was to bring my mother. And the other time it was for like Thanksgiving because I invited the family. And he still then even didn't say, oh, I'm proud of you. This is a nice house, son. You're doing great. Nothing like that at all. It was always, well, where are you at in the bank now? What, what's your what's your um, what's your position? Or um, what'd you go and do this for? Or I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't spend money on that if I were you. Or I wouldn't have bought that car. Or you know, it's critical. And I never. I always felt like I was trying to make him proud of me, or for him to see me being successful. And he never did. My mom, on the other hand, she was so happy. She was braggy. She was telling everybody, you know, she was telling her mom, her family, her friends, her brothers, her sisters, uh, that she was out to my house and how beautiful my house was and things like that. So um, my father wasn't a part of that, Pat. Never, never came. I mean, like I said, two or three times, that was it. Wasn't a part of my life. And that was his choice. And honestly, after I graduated high school and got out of there, that became my choice as well because I resented him for the way he let us three boys be raised, how he didn't take care of us, how he neglected us, how he was never there for us. His gambling was more important than anything else. And it took its toll. Fast forward, here we are now in my own home, right? So I'm running this show. I'm in charge of my life and I've got friends. I'm doing what I think is right. And here's what happens. My friends invite me to a casino boat. And when this happened, it was back in the day when you had to hop on a boat and you had to ride it out into the water so far away from land before you were able to gamble. Then they turned on the machines. If you could all remember, this was years ago. Now they have casinos on land everywhere, but this was back in that day when you had to do that. And certain states had regulations. At any rate, there I am. I'm out here gambling. I'm having fun, playing the slot machines, oblivious to what's going on. I'm just, I'm just having fun. I'm not even paying attention. I'm putting dollars in and pulling down the slots. And all of a sudden I pull down the slot machine and my machine stops. 
I don't know what's going on. The bells are ringing and people are coming up to me. You won. You hit the guy beside me. Oh my God, look at you. I'm so jealous. You hit. I'm like, what do you mean? I hit. Look, you got three sevens. And so my lights going off, people are coming around me. They come up to me, one of the attendants and says, oh my God, we've got to check you out and everything. So at that time, <laughs> if this is how long ago it was, my gambling career started, you had coins, you had to put coins in the slot machines and it came out in coins. So I had buckets coming out. They had to stop the machine because I imagine, I don't know how much, it was like several hundred dollars, right? And if you can imagine, I was playing like quarters and they were all quarter coins and I had several hundred dollars worth and I've got buckets of money. I'm a big shot. This is what happened. At that moment in time, I felt like I became somebody. Everybody, everybody wanted to be around me. Everybody wanted to know who's this guy, who won, what's he all about. And then during that time, they would announce your name if you're a winner, a jackpot winner. And I think they even did what floor of the boat you're on. Up on tier number one, Tim, you know, tell you my name. Tim won. And Everybody knew my name. Well, guess what? I, I felt like I was becoming famous, rich and famous. And I know it's not true. I look back and I think that was furthest from the truth. But that high, that high of winning, people coming up mm -hmm. to you, the lights going off, people knowing your name, people wanting to be with you, changed my life forever. I, I feel, and, and what I found out later is I crossed over the invisible line between controlled and uncontrolled gambling. Because even then, Pat and Sharon, even then, they couldn't pull me away from that machine. And I remember the guys telling me, it's already hit. It's not going to hit again. I said, yeah, it will. Yeah, it will. And I'm putting back in money that I had just won. And they said, let's get him out of here. Let's get him out of here. These are my friends. Wow. Let's get him out of here. I didn't want to leave. It was torture, them trying to pull me away. I was getting upset. Right? I wanted to stay there and win more. That night, they did get me away from the machine. I was putting in coins on the way out the door. That's how I was. I felt like I crossed over the line. That's when I became a true addict. Because I couldn't forget that moment. And that night, I took everybody to dinner. I, I paid for everything because that's what you do when you're the, the king, when you're the one that's you know, winning the money and everybody, and you feel like you're it. And that night I went home and I said, oh my God, I hit a jackpot. This was amazing. I got to go back. And I fixed my schedule. I worked around what, you know, what days I had free in the bank. And as soon as I possibly could, I went back again to that same boat. I can't recall exactly, but I can tell you guys, I did not win <laughs> like I did that night. I put more money in than I got back. But that wasn't enough. I had to win. I had to have that high again. So I continued to gamble and I continued to go back. And there were times when I would go and I literally would hit three or four jackpots and walk out of there with nothing. I fed them all back into the machine. And they give you these slips. Whenever you win over a certain amount, you've got to claim it on your taxes. I would be in the car counting four or five or six slips but no money in my pockets. And that sick feeling in your gut, I just lost it all. And I'm, it was uncontrolled. I couldn't handle it. I, I had to go back and do it again. I had to, get, I had to chase my, my losing, my losses. It became a habit. So at that point, Tim, I guess it's like, 
I guess that point, Tim, then you really are going in debt because you got to pay taxes and you don't have don't. any money. And so it's just, just eating up. And I started living right paycheck there. to paycheck. Right. Because I ended up starting, I, I said, you know what? I'll just take a thousand dollars. Cause I know I'm going to win that plus more. And I'll be able to pay my bills with that, with the future winnings. I was mm. counting on future winnings to pay my bills. I got myself into a big mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I can, it, uh, it took over my life. I was consumed. So in between gambling, in between the times when I was able to gamble, all I could think about was the next time I was going to gamble. It affected my work. It affected my relationships. I was not focused. All I could think of was getting back to that casino. And even once, once I got there, I couldn't leave, but I had to work. There were times when I would go to the casino and then leave right in time to go home, change and shower and get to work. I lost so much money, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. It, it, it was progressive. Okay. Addiction, especially this type of an addiction is progressive in nature, which means it starts out slow and then it gets, it builds and it builds and it builds. And any addiction, they'll tell you when you go back, you pick up where you left off, right? You don't start over again. If you're an alcoholic, you're going to go back to drinking. You're not going to have one drink and then have another one an hour later to, you know, it's going to, you're going to hit right back where you left off. And I kept thinking to myself, I got to quit this. I got to quit. I can quit. I'm not going to, you know what? My father was a gambler. I'm not going to be a gambler. And, and sharing that path, that's what really hurt me the most. Mm-hmm. That's what hit me the hardest. I turned out to be exactly what I said I wasn't going to be. My you father. Your father. The only difference, and I, I use this as a mm-hmm. rational rationalization and kind of defending myself was I didn't have children like you did. I didn't neglect children, right? I didn't neglect a wife. I didn't neglect, neglect anything. I started neglecting myself. And even my health took a hit. People say, well, gambling's different, right? If you're addicted to drugs or alcohol, you're going to see a physical difference in someone's body, generally speaking. I go to the casino. First of all, I'm not sleeping. I'm going two or three nights without sleep. Secondly, you know what my diet was? Coffee and cigarettes. I I remember Mm. the host would go around and give snacks out. That would be all I would eat. I would sit there and play and play and play and play. And when the money ran out, I'd go and get a cash advance on my credit card. It's embarrassing to talk about this, but this is truly what happened. And I know this is what people go through. I would get a cash advance and then I would get another one. And then I would get another one. And I applied and I got a marker, which is like a line of credit at a casino. I got a marker. So I would play with my marker. If I won, I would pay the marker back. So I'd have it available. And if I was down, I'd go get the marker again and then use it and play until it was gone. Many, many times I would play until I had nothing left. No available credit. I tapped out all my credit cards, my checking account, the marker. I had to go till the next payday. Sickening feeling, awful feeling, out of control feeling. It was the worst. It continued and continued and continued. So Tim, you said, so, so Tim, I want to, I'm thinking about what you yeah. said about your dad. So your justification was in your head that you weren't like your dad because I didn't have kids right. and I didn't do this to my children. 
So therefore you couldn't possibly right. be like your I had dad. to make a difference. Yes, exactly. And oh, I paid my bills. See, my dad didn't pay his bills either. We got evicted. I told you, I shared with you a couple of times okay. we, we got moved because he didn't pay the rent. One time we got foreclosed upon. I didn't know that's what it was, but the house we bought, they, the bank took it back, right? We had to move somewhere else. But what happened though, Pat, is quickly, the addiction took hold of me so much that I stopped caring about my bills. And I stopped paying my bills. And it happened to be right around the time of the market crash. The housing bubble burst in 2008, 2009, 2000. You remember when that happened and everybody was taking a hit. So I took a hit. I said, I'm just like everybody else. I'm, but my hit was gambling. My hit wasn't because of the market. And in the business that I was in at the time, it was cyclical. It also tied to that, the housing market. I was in the housing business. Therefore, my income did go down. And now I don't have income coming in. I'm already not paying my bills on time. I'm already underwater and got all this debt out here. Now I'm not getting any money. And I took a financial hit and I had to go through some really deep stuff at that time. And lessons learned, you know, and I share that with everybody when I talk to them in business or whatever it is. I say that everybody goes through something, right? And that's what I was, I went through the worst of the worst. But the moments that literally took me out, took me down was a night I was at the casino and I'd used all my money. I tapped out everything. I overdrew my checking account. All my credit cards were maxed. I had left my previous job and got another job. And when I did, I cashed in the 401k that was with my job that I had for 15 years. And that was a six-figure mm. 401k. I cashed it in. I lost that. Oh, my. Mm. The feeling, I, I can't even put it in that words. That was a hit. That was a hit. That was a hit. I, I'm not paying my bills. I'm not making money. I lost my 401k. I hate myself. I hate my life. I'm turned into my father. I'm not going to get out of this hole. What am I to do? And that's when I thought, I want to die. I'd rather not be here. I'd rather be dead than face what I've got to go through. Mm. My therapist recommended I go to GA, Gamers Anonymous, and I did. The first day there, I met somebody who became my sponsor and helped me to go to the 12-step meetings. I felt some hope. I'll never forget, I, I, I wouldn't have money to buy something I needed. I mean, it would literally be little stuff. I mean, I was living on $10, $15 a week, whatever it was I had available, right? And any money I got went right to my bills. I was driving a car that was so bad, the air conditioner didn't work. The gear shift was off by one gear. It was kind of funny. I'd have to remember if I'm pushing drive, it's really not drive, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm wearing a suit. And then that in the middle of summer with no air conditioner, my windows down and trying to get to work. It was just mm. awful. And I, I, I gave up. I literally gave up and I went to GA and they restored hope in me. And they told me, you know, I've been there. Everybody's been there. And I met all these amazing, wonderful, beautiful human beings, angels who actually came to my rescue and said, you're going to be okay. Now I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. 
And it wasn't like, oh, Tim quit just like that after going to a meeting. No, it was much more than that. I, 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 I fell off the wagon. I would make some clean time a couple of months and then go to the casino and my sponsor would say, why didn't you call me? I said, because if I called you, you'd tell me no. <laughs> Don't go to the casino, right? So, so that's what happened. And I'll tell you that happened probably, well, 15 years ago is when I placed my last bet. Oh, wow. 818 is my last bet. And it's, well, you know, I know this is recorded, so uh, it's close to that date right now. I'll just say that. So it's 15 years since I made my last bet. I just got cold chills. And I will tell you to this day, I drove by, I was driving to an appointment this afternoon on the highway where I live in the city and there was an advertisement for the casino and I'm, I'm reading the casino advertisement and my mind went, wow, maybe it's different. Maybe you got 15 years under your belt. You could go back. You could, you could try, you know, things are different now. That's what I always said back then. Things are different. Oh, you got this now. I can't, you guys, I can't go back. I live 10 minutes from, I mean, where I'm at, there's casinos all over the place. Now I live 10 minutes from a casino and it's one of my favorites from when I used to gamble. I've never stepped foot in a casino in the mm -hmm. state I live in right now. I'm so afraid. I'm not afraid that I, I live my life without that compulsion, right? I, I'm not a compulsive mm -hmm. gambler anymore. I lost the compulsion. I am an addict in the sense that I will always have that there. And I arrested that addiction, but I'm not cured. You can't ever be cured from an addiction. I live day to day mm -hmm. recently. And you all know this. Anybody listening to this knows this, that the lottery was almost a billion dollars or something. It was like 700 and some million. It was sitting close. Mm -hmm. It was like a record jackpot. I kid you not. It took everything some days when they were talking about it on the news for me not to say, I, I just want to go buy a ticket. Nobody will know. And if I win, I could tell everybody I won, mm -hmm. right? I call my brother. <laughs> you know I can't gamble. So if you win tonight, I'm your friend. Remember your brother, you know, that kind of thing. And I'll just tell people that and my, my closest <laughs> friends know that, you know what? And, and this is a whole other topic. And I, if I'm going over time, I apologize. One of the things is sharing your addiction. And I didn't for many years. And people closest to me always knew something might have been wrong. Something was off. They attributed it to my childhood, which was true. But I'd never shared what was truly wrong with me. And once you were able to open up and confess that and share that, the love came pouring in and the support came pouring in. And that's why today I have many friends who know I, I gambled and had this gambling career. I'll call it a career, not a successful one, but it was a time when I gambled. And they know. They tell me, don't you ever worry. If we ever hit the lottery, we're going to help you, right? They'll say that. Um, we understand what it's like. And then sometimes they forget. They'll forget and say, hey, I'm going to get an instant lottery ticket. Do you want one? Or I'll be at a, at a mixer where nobody knows I was a gambler. And they'll say, hey, we have a, a drawing. Put your uh, business card in the jar for a drawing today. That's gambling, you guys. I can't do that. You never think about that, but mm -hmm. I can't do that. I'm just grateful and thankful. Yeah, I want to ask you a question. Um, going back a little bit, you said that you were at the casino. Your checking account was overdrawn. Your... You had no money and you had to go home. So how did you get home? Did you have gas to get home so, or how did you get home? Yeah. No, I didn't, Pat. 
I didn't. And I thought, am I going to beg what's going to happen here? I went to the pump, the gas pump. And back then, I don't know if they still do this now, but they didn't actually charge the entire amount on your card. They would run it through for a authorization, like a dollar authorization. So I was able to find a card that I had a dollar mm-hmm. that would be authorized. They didn't charge the whole amount on your card. Like today, you use your debit card, you go to Sam's Club or wherever, they charge the whole amount, right? They put it author- they'll put an authorization for $50 or $75, whatever it is. They just put $1 authorization back then. I was able to get a dollar authorized on one of my cards mm-hmm. and filled my tank. And the credit card company approved it. It was over my limit. Pat, I don't know what I would have done. If that hadn't happened, I would have been begging somebody. I would walk out of the casino and you know how like you valet park your cars at a casino sometimes? I would do that because that's what that's what a high roller does. Mm-hmm. That's who I was. I was a big shot, right? I would come out of there and not have one dollar to give that valet person. And I felt like crap. I never do that to somebody like that. They work hard for the money and there I am now not give me give me my car back, but you're not going to get a tip. Those little things hurt me, you know, but it, it, it upset me that I would be that way with somebody, with people, but nobody knew the extent of my addiction. I can tell you story after story of what I did and how, you know, as an addict, people lie, cheat, and steal. You hear that all the time. I was in a bank. By the grace of God, I never stole one penny from the bank that I worked at. And that is a miracle in and of itself. I never lied, but when I lied, I say I never lied. You know what I did, Pat, Sharon? I omitted the truth. I lied by omission. That's for me, that's the only way I could get through that. And I never stole. I never stole. But I remember asking my mother for money one time. My mother, who is on Social Security, asked her for $50 and made up a story that I was going to get paid and what happened or whatever with my pay. I mean, that, that's sad. My mom knew something was wrong. But um, she's gone today. And I'll just say that mm-hmm. she, she got to live to see me go through recovery, get my, my one year and my five year, my 10 year pins in Gamblers Anonymous. And she was so proud of that. I told her she, she was happy every anniversary and, and it just filled me with joy for her to know that I actually did recover and go through it. It's in remission, so to speak. So today, today I'm happy to be here and alive and to be able to share my story. There's a lot more you can imagine all those years as an addict, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to share what I was able to share with you this evening. And I hope that, you know, it does help somebody know that no matter what their situation is, no matter how dire, there's always hope. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. And Tim, hearing you talk about, you know, hope, it, it brings me to the scripture, you know, the Bible, faith is the substance of things hoped wow. for, the evidence of yes. things not seen. And that's what, listen to you talk about that, taking one day at a time, you know, living right there near a casino, you know, that hope, you know, but it's the evidence of things not seen. That's that's that faith. And when I hear when you say that, that's what that reminds me of. Having that faith in yourself, you know, one day at a time. You don't know it yet, but you trust I had, it. I had to trust other people, it. Sharon. I didn't have any faith in me when I quit gambling, when I went to those rooms. I had no faith. And and you're down and beaten. Anybody mm-hmm. one day at a one time, that's what time. they teach you. And it did take me one day at a time to even get any yep. any of that back. I had nothing when I went there. 
Mm-hmm. And it teaches you just getting up is a good start <laughs> on the day. It, it's that hope yep. that gets you through. It really is. That's what it is. It's one day at a time. It sure is. And we all, believe it or not, Tim, I think we all take it one day at a time. I know I do. That's moment all we by have. moment. You know, because life itself, without addiction, can become overwhelming. <laughs> life itself can be just overwhelming from day to day. So, you know, we all need to take just one day at a time. Absolutely. That's all we have. Your story is so encouraging. I'm so sorry, Tim, that, you know, growing up, you had to experience what you did with your dad. Just listening to you talk, you know, I can see the hurt and feel the hurt. And, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that you had to experience I will share. That, you know, but even though you had to take that journey, you know, look at you today. Amazing. Well, I do want to look share with you. you I'm glad you said that because it just reminds My father was in the hospital this past week. They actually do a blood transfusion and it scared me that he was really, really ill. I'm closer to him today than I've ever been in my entire life. And like I shared with you before, I have two brothers. They don't feel the same. They really almost get angry at me for treating him like a human being. And they still hold on to that resentment because I wasn't the only one that was mistreated growing up. I'm telling you my story, but there was two behind me that went through the same exact Mm -hmm. thing. My father was a gambler. Gambling is an illness. It's a sickness. My father is sick. He doesn't say it. He doesn't believe it to this day. And he'll probably die never thinking that he was. But I can relate to that. And so I know what it's like to be in his shoes, helpless and hopeless and uncontrolled gambling, which is what he does. So I have a relationship with him. We don't talk about the gambling. We talk about everything else. And I'm very grateful for that. I I just know it's like if somebody has cancer, you're not going to be mad at them because they have cancer. That's an illness. You're going to help them get their chemotherapy or their treatment, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and get them through life. And that's what I've gotten in this situation with my father. So we're we're closer today than ever. And it's amazing to even for me to say the words, I love you to my father is huge. I don't think my father has yet said, I'm proud of you. And that may not happen either, Mm -hmm. but I think, no, I know he is. He just hasn't said it. Mm-hmm. And and it could be, Tim, for him to even say those words would mean he has to acknowledge his own self and his own failures and where he right. fell short at. And looking at when you were talking about, you know, he, he didn't validate you. I always want to know what you're doing to make that would validate you. And I tend to think that that validation given to you would mean he would have to reflect back on himself. You know, I had that same thing that happened within my family with my father and him being upset about some things. And I told him, I think the reason you're so upset is because this used to be you. And rather than talk to somebody and encourage somebody, you know, he would rather be upset about it. And I said, only you're upset because this used to be you. It's like looking at yourself and you're having a hard time looking at who you used to be because you know that was you. But he never wants to own up to that. But that used to be you. Yeah, exactly. so I think it has a lot to do do with your dad. And to validate you mean he would have to admit some things to himself about who he is, right. who he has been. He doesn't want to know. do that. You're right. Good point. Yeah. And it could be hurtful for him to even do that. It could just be, you know, devastating for him to own up to who he right. should have been. You know, and looking at you and he might see how well you're doing and think, I should have been able to do that. And I wasn't for whatever reason, you know, looking at you thinking he wish he could have. And you know what? It's, you know, but I'm glad I'm so happy that. 
Go ahead. No, I was saying yeah, you just sorry. made me think, and thank you for saying all that. You're exactly right. I just wanted to, it made me think of where I am today being as an addict, going through 12 steps, addiction, all those things that are going obsessive compulsive and how people like that are coming into my life and how I'm able to help them. I'm able to understand them. I've got clients that share with mm -hmm. me. I had a client this evening right before our talk tonight and he was sharing with me, oh, well, that was when I was in addiction. He said those words to me. I said, wow, I understand that. It's, it was a credit issue and he, he didn't care about paying his bills and he was on drugs. And he goes, I was, that was before, you know, I went to recovery. I said, that's amazing. Good for you. I understand that. You know, and, and as an addict, you have that. It's almost like we know each other. And when you talk to another addict, you have the same language. It's a different language mm -hmm. and people get it. People know what it's like. And there's a lot of us out there, you know, millions and millions of us all mm -hmm. living day to day, either in our addiction or out of our addiction mm -hmm. or going into an addiction, but we're all there together. And even my father, my father's a part of that group. He's just not mm -hmm. admitting it, you know. The first step is admitting that you have a problem and he hasn't reached the first step <laughs> right. yet. So, but I'm grateful for him where he is today. I wonder if he, if he's admitted it to himself. Yeah. You know, Tim, I wonder if he's admitting to himself, but not willing to admit it out loud. And if he did, Sharon, that's great. You know, yeah. I wonder if he's, if he's reconciled that within himself, but he's not going to say it to his children or he's not going to admit it to you because he's going to be dead. And he's right. always going to be right. But I wonder within himself, especially, you know, you said he's in a hospital. And I tend to think, you know, Lennon at hospital, but you got a lot of time to think. It gives you a lot of time to think about stuff. I'm going you know? home next month to see him. It's his birthday. And uh, I'm going to go back and visit. And we, we spend time together when I go back. And he talks. I just let him talk. That's all he wants to do is talk. And I listen. You know, and I'll, I'll share things. I don't share everything, but I'll listen. And that's what he wants to do is he wants to talk and be heard. And I realized, too, you know, when he went through the same thing, his father... And, and I had this discussion with my mother. We think his father was an alcoholic as well. And so he grew up under that influence. What kind of childhood did he have? You know, they say hurt people right. hurt people. And he's got a story. He got a story. And we don't know his story. And I think if we knew his story, yeah. maybe we would shed a different light on the way he was in his life. You know, so. Mm -hmm. All about the story, I'm telling you. It's all about the story. And it's, you know, it I, I had a therapy session today. I'm in therapy and I, my th I love my therapist. And we talked about that. And it's like, everybody's, it's like healing trauma. Everybody is going through or had trauma and it's about mm -hmm. healing that trauma. And some people spend a lifetime trying to heal that trauma, especially childhood trauma. And that's what mm -hmm. I had. That's probably what he had. A lot of us have had that. Exactly. So. Mm -hmm. Which leads to addiction. <laughs> but, you know, I always tell people, I heard, I heard someone say once, I always tell people, you know, it's not about how the tree fall. It's about how you get up. You know, yeah. I always say God is not concerned about your fall. You know, we all go down. He's concerned about what you do when you get up. And it seems like you're doing really well. well I have too. this. Where's it out here? I have this book and it says on here. Uh, yep. Success. This is the little book I, I have here. It's a little notebook. I write my notes and my thoughts in it. It says, success is falling nine times and getting up 10. You know, that, there you go. That's, you that's what we do. We all fall down, <laughs> but it's how we get back up. There it is. 
It's yeah. how you get up. We all fall down. We all fall down. Yeah. You know, one way or the other. Your, my, your, <laughs> look, my fall may be bigger than yours. Yours may be bigger than mine. But we all fall, great or small. But it's all about how we get it's up. All about what we're we going to do yeah. now that we up. Yep. That's what's important. Now what we're going to do. Right. You, know, you don't have to dwell on the fall. In addiction, and this is something too, I was an extremist, like all or nothing. And a friend of mine said, you know, I was going down fast. And I was willing to ride the ride all the way to the bottom. And they said, you don't have to take the elevator. You don't have to take the elevator all the way to the bottom floor. You can get off any floor. You don't have to go all the way down. And that's true. In addiction, you don't have to take the, you don't have to go all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Some people do. You hear that. Oh, he had to hit rock bottom before things would get better. You don't have to. And if you can catch it early enough, I think it does kind of save you some of that trauma that you go through when you're there on the bottom. But everybody's bottom is different. You hear that in the program as well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, I went clear to the bottom. I went clear to the bottom and I got back up. And like you just said, it's just getting up. Mm-hmm. Make sure we get up. <laughs> and I did. And look what you've been doing ever since you got up. And you know what? Every day it gets better and better. Every day of my life is better and better. I love my life. I love me. Yeah. It took a while to say that. I'm saying that to you now. I, and you know what? Just talking about that self-love unconditional love and allowing yourself to be who you are through all the addiction and all the stuff you did, all the stuff you did to other people. That's a whole nother podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I would share that story again or with you. If something happens down the road and you guys want to hear you know, something continual mm-hmm. hint, hint, but I, cause I really, I do love talking to you, Pat and, and share. I know I love talking to you guys and, and the fact you let me share my story. <laughs> It is what it is, but there's there's always another story. Yeah. Sharon and I, Tim, we are so happy and thrilled that you came to us and shared your story, not once, not twice, but three times. We really, really hope that things are going well for you and things continue to go well for you. And at some date in the future, we would like to have you back for a update on how you're doing, what's been going on and so forth. What do you think about that, Sharon? Sounds good to me. <laughs> and you know what? I, I appreciate that, you guys, very much. I, okay, thank you. I, I would do that. I would be honored because you know what? Gambling addiction doesn't just stop. It didn't stop after I told this story. You know, it's there with me, and I've got to live day to day with that, and it continues. So have me back, and I'll share with you my progress and how things are going, and and what roads I've taken, and what turns have happened, and it happens to all of us, especially in addiction. We would definitely do that. And sometime in the near future, um, Sharon and I thank you again. And this is the end of our show. Tim, good luck to you. Sharon, do you have anything to say before we leave today? I just thank Tim so, so much. And um, your story is going to help a lot of people. Tim, I so much appreciate you. You know, I just hope people realize, you know, when you get up, you're up. You know, some people say, I just... Or all I did was, it's strength in the get up. Whether you run, if you don't take a step at all, you got up. You got got up. up. And it's strength in the get up. You got up. That's what matters. And Sharon and Pat, I appreciate everything you're doing too. You're going to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people as well. And this has helped me to share my story. It's really, truly helped me as well. So I thank you for that. Good. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Well, that's the end of our show today. If you want to comment or get in touch with Sharon or I, you can reach us at always something podcast at gmx.com. That's always something podcast at gmx.com. Thank you.